Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Walter's World, the podcast series. Uh, my name is Walter Sweat, and I am the CTO here at Estadia. Estadia focuses on mainframe migration and modernization projects. And today, I'm delighted to have with me Cliff Bradley, who is the president and CEO of Tech Affinity Consulting. Um, Tech Affinity and Estadia work together on a very successful migration project. And I just thought it might be informative for everyone to hear the background on how this project came about and what went into it uh, so that you could see if there are benefits for you to consider a similar type project. Cliff, welcome very much to Walter's World. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you here. Uh, Cliff, can you give us a little background on you know, what you've done in the industry and how you came to be with Tech Affinity Consulting? Well, I've been in uh, you know the IT world for you know 30 years, as most mainframe guys are. Uh, I started my career at uh, GTE Data Services, which is actually now Verizon Data Services in Tampa, Florida, uh, and spent about eight or ten uh, years with uh, Verizon or, or GTE after they changed names, and uh, you know and started Tech Affinity Consulting in 2000. Uh, our primary focus at that time was mainframe technologies, and one of our biggest clients was Time Inc. Uh, Time Inc. owning, you know, most of the major publications in the U.S. being Time and Sports Illustrated and People and, you know, they had 58 magazines and, uh, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, cut our teeth uh, in the publishing industry with uh, our Time Inc. client and, and built a lot of applications over the years for them. So the project that we worked on together, how did that transition from the, the Time Inc. to this particular uh, project. What was really involved in it? What does the system do and what was the history? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of the history of the actual application itself. You know, we call it the pre-sort system. So back in the late 90s, uh, Time Inc., uh, you know, like I said, they had 58, you know, magazines. They're the largest publisher in the world. They had magazines all over Europe and Asia. Um, and, uh, you know, we were hired as consultants in the late 90s to help them build a customized, you know, what we call USPS pre-sort system. And that pre-sort system is responsible, you know, mainly for putting magazines and delivery sequence and creating bundles and pallets and the logistics planning of getting magazines, you know, from the printers, you know, to the mailbox. Uh, you know, Time Inc. was the largest or was the largest uh, publisher of weekly magazines. They had People Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Time, Time for Kids, uh, and Entertainment Weekly. Uh, there's really not a lot of other weekly magazines in the industry. You know, there's Business Week in the Week and a couple others. But, you know, Time, you know, had the majority share of weekly magazines. And they're totally different than a monthly magazine. A monthly magazine, it doesn't, you know, the, the delivery time is really not that important. Uh, you know, but for a weekly magazine, most of the subscribers want their magazines in their mailbox every Friday afternoon. And when you're trying to deliver you know, 20 million magazines a week and get them to, to people's mailbox on Friday afternoons or Saturday at the latest. Uh, you need to have a pretty dynamic system that had a lot of transportation planning, you know, uh, you know, and these magazines print throughout the country. Uh, they don't print at one place. They print in California, New York and Wisconsin and Georgia. Uh, so we came in in the you know, late 90s and helped them build this, you know, uh, pre-sort system that was really focused on the weekly magazines. Now, in 98, 97 or 90, or 98, 2017 or 2018, Meredith Corporation at Des Moines, Iowa, who has magazines such as Better Homes and Gardens, they bought Time Inc. Okay. Uh, they bought Time Inc. And 
they don't really, uh, they didn't have a pre-sort system. They don't have mainframe technologies and they had their own systems that took care of magazines with the exception of weekly magazines. Uh, and they didn't want to continue to pay for the mainframe uh, that Time Inc. had because it was on a huge, you know, IBM Z Cloud mainframe and the monthly cost was, you know, outrageous. I mean, if, I can only know, imagine. Yeah, it was 50,000 50, a month or whatever, or actually it was, you know, I think it was around $50 million a year uh, for their processing. Uh, so they wanted to keep this pre-sort application, but they didn't want everything else. So that's kind of how it started. They wanted to keep the, mag the, the pre-sort system for the weekly titles, but they didn't want all the other systems at Time Cat. So that kind of gives you a background of the system itself and kind of what it does. The other part of it is, is there actually is a, another system that didn't run on the mainframe called freight planning. Uh, and it was written uh, and ran on uh, on-premise servers in New York. And it's a, you know, it was a power builder application with a Sybase database and it's highly integrated with the pre-sort system in a, in a sense that it does the truck planning, the routes, the bill of lading, and uh, it does all the logistics planning for the magazine. So there's actually two systems that they wanted to keep. One was on the mainframe and one was on on-prem servers. Okay, super, thank you. And I can only imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to keep all of that information current and accurate and timely uh, so making sure that it stayed that way had to be of paramount importance, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Cliff, can you give me an idea of the size of the application? You know, numbers of programs and tables or rough ideas of lines of code, just so the folks who are listening would have a, a feel for that size? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, it ran, actually, it ran on a, originally, you know, the timing uh, LPARs were around 35, you know, 100 MIP machines. And uh, the first thing we did is we actually took the code off of these, you know, larger LPARs and put it onto a small LPAR by itself. Uh, and when, in doing so, we, we determined that it really required like 300 MIPs. It had about 425 programs, 160 to 170 DB2 tables. 400,000 lines of code and about 1,800 JCL members. You know, so that's kind of the size of the system. And what I mean by JCL members, that's 1,800 jobs. So it was a fairly, you know, fairly large system, um, but it was contained within a very, very large, you know, uh, system-wide LPAR that had a lot of other applications. Uh, and we extracted it out of that system and put it onto a smaller LPAR. That was our first step. Then our second step would be to move it over to MicroFocus. That makes sense. Um, and I'm assuming that they probably didn't consider leaving it on the mainframe just because of cost. Would that be right? That's right. So when we moved it to the smaller LPAR, uh, which is a 300 MIP LPAR that only contained this pre-sort, uh, when you look at cost of licensing of sync sort and Endeavor and a lot of other things, our monthly platform costs were running $85,000 a month. And we ran on that at LPAR for one year, nine months to a year while we were migrating it. So uh, $85,000 a month was just for the pre-sort uh, system when we excluded all the other you know, time leak applications. But that's still very substantial without a doubt. Oh, it's over a million dollars a year just for platform costs, not including resources or a lot of other things it takes to support a system. Wow, wow. Yeah. When did the project actually start, Cliff? So uh, we we started the project on December 5th, uh, 2018. Uh, we had a hard end date of September of 2019. I mean by that is that if we didn't finish it by September 2019, we were going to have to sign up for another year 
you know, on that 300 mil bell par at $85,000 a month. Well, no pressure there, huh? Um, yeah, no pressure, you know, and Meredith was like, we're not going to pay another million dollars to keep this system. You got to get it completed and off that main, off the mainframe by September 2019 last year. And did you make it? We did. We went live uh, August 18th. Uh, we had two weeks to spare. We ran in parallel, you know, we ran in parallel for the first two weeks of August. And then we did not run on the mainframe for the last two weeks in August. But we had it there as a, as a plan B in the event that we needed to roll back. But we didn't. Everything went smooth. Uh, and we met our deadlines for our client. That's fantastic. So if you talked about your mainframe background, uh, had you actually had experience working in migration projects prior to that? No, not at all. I mean, uh, you know, and neither any of our, our resources. I had worked in microfocus back in the early 90s when I was at GT Data Service, so I did mm -hmm. have some exposure to it, but it's changed a lot in the past 20 years or 25 years, you know, so uh, my current experience with it was nil to none. Uh, and, you know, my resources that worked on the projects, they were traditional mainframe resources that grew up on a mainframe and really, you know, pretty much only did mainframe activities. So we had zero to no experience. Well, I know some people consider that a leap of faith. Um, I would hope that you felt confident that, you know, enough of the mainframe types of activities, the, the fact that you're working with batch, that you're working with the same kinds of data files that it wasn't completely different and that it gave you some level of confidence for that no i mean you know i mean what what happened is, is you know we did to do our own little research and try to start learning micro focus but as you know i mean we partnered with Astadia because of that lack of experience uh and you know that confidence level that we really needed to commit to that client that we could get this thing done in nine months and we you know we had a couple weeks training with some of this uh Astadia staff members that taught us how to manipulate files and how to compile programs and how to map a copybook and how to run a job. Uh, but what we found is, is, you know, after, you know, just some short training periods of a week or two and getting in there, I mean, COBOL is COBOL, JCL is JCL, you know, a database access is database access. And, you know, and within, you know, a month or six weeks, our resources were off and running. And, uh, you know, we did lean on the Estadia folks for, you know, certain types of skill sets and things that we didn't understand and know how to do. Uh, but the resources, you know, they, they uh, transitioned into the microfocus environment very well, uh, including myself. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, president of the company, but I helped design this system back in the 90s. So I know a lot about it. I still know how to code. I try not to code that much, but <laughs> I also went through the training and, and uh, get an understanding of how to, you know, manipulate microfocus and how to run it on, on that platform. And, uh, you know, I found it very easy to learn and very, very easy to transition with the skills that we had on the mainframe. Yeah. Having started back in the uh, dark ages on the mainframe, like I did, uh, I contend that it's a whole lot easier for an experienced mainframe person to pick up how to use, how to compile a COBOL program with Visual Studio or Eclipse more so than it is for someone off the street trying to learn TSO and ISPF with all the manuals that go along with that. I don't miss those days myself. <laughs> yeah, I find it a lot easier to compile and run a program in about, oh, four seconds in microfocus versus, you know, five or eight minutes, you know, on the mainframe. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we use the Eclipse environment, you know, just so, okay, you know, yeah, so the Eclipse, the one is we use and uh, we find it, you know, very intuitive uh, and be able to compile a program, update it, and find errors, you know, are, are very easy. 
Yeah, and even from a DevOps perspective, being able to, if it's important, being able to promote code and do automated testing with different tools that are out there. I just find that to be such a better environment, quicker and more reliable. And uh, I'm glad to hear that it sounds like your experience was the same. Yes, it certainly is. Now, you, you mentioned time a second ago about time for compilation. What about performance? How well has the application performed now that it's not running on the mainframe and is running in this new environment? Yeah, and, and that's a very good question. And me being, you know, a traditional mainframe guy, you know, for 30 years, you know, I was, I would say pessimistic, but I wasn't real optimistic that the system would perform as well as it does on a 3000 MIP LPAR. Um, you know, it, it, and on the, on the LPAR, it had about six terabytes of data and it is a sort routine. The system is called pre-sort. So it has a lot of sort routines and a lot of big files that you're sorting 4 million records and things. And to give you an idea of what it ran on the mainframe, uh, on the mainframe, we would start around six o'clock in the afternoon because of load balancing and they had kicks environments that were up during the day and we couldn't run batch during the day, stuff like that. And they always preferred us to run at night. Uh, but for like People Magazine, we'd start at six, uh, six o'clock through the scheduler, through TWS. And our system would generally complete in about 12 hours, you know. So six in the morning, our deliverables are due out to the plant by eight. Uh, you know, if we ran into a problem or two, we might, you know, miss our deliverable at eight. But in general, it would take 12 hours for a People or a Time, which are the two biggest magazines. Uh, when we got onto the microfocus environment, the first time we ran it, it ran in 17 hours. And I was like, this is never going to work. Uh, but then we found some tools working with Estadia and, and some of their team members, you know, profiler options and some mm -hmm. things that we can use to identify, you know, where's the time being spent in these programs. And uh, I didn't mention is that we were running DB2 on the mainframe. And when we uh, moved it over to microfocus, we chose Aurora Postgres as the database. Um, and what we found is that, you know, the access paths and things within uh, Aurora Postgres were different than DB2, and we had to kind of tune the database a little bit. But long story short, once we went through that uh, performance tuning process, we're now running in five to six hours. Wow. Which is, you know, a, a huge improvement. And we're starting in our system at, I don't know, three or four in the afternoon now because we don't have load balancing concerns with kicks. Uh, we're finishing at eight o'clock in the afternoon, in the evening, maybe nine o'clock. Uh, and we all go to bed knowing that everything's done for the night. and We don't have to worry about having an offsite shift, uh, uh, offshore shift, excuse me. So, you know, I do have an organization in Chennai and in, in Bangalore in India. Uh, and, you know, we had two, two shifts supporting this application when it was running on the mainframe because it ran so long. It would start at six o'clock and we'd support it to about midnight. And then they'd come in the office in India and take over and make sure the deliverables were met by eight. But now we only require one shift because it's running in five or six hours and it's done before we go to bed in the evenings and we know whether or not, you know, you know everything's completed and uh, it's all good for the next morning. So it's been a huge in, in performance improvement, which we were delighted to see. Well, I'm hoping with that performance improvement, you saw the applicable and appropriate amount of cost savings as well. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in addition to the performance improvement, um, you know, what we find now is that our platform cost, which includes the microfocus licensing fees and the AWS cost, are running about $8,000 a month. Uh, if you compare that to what we originally were doing on that smaller LPAR of $85,000, uh, we're saving, you know, $900,000, $924,000 a year 
uh, for the system, uh, platform costs, that is. So it's, it's amazing, 90% savings. That, that is truly astounding. 90% uh, savings with even better performance. Uh, that's quite a combination. Quite a combination. And, you know, and, and honestly, that cost savings is what saved this application. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there are some, a lot of savings, you know, with the system, with, you know, postage costs and things like that. But Meredith was not willing to pay, uh, you know, the amount of money it was costing running on the mainframe to keep it. They would have found other methods. So, and allowing us to, you know, realize these savings on Microfocus saved this system. That's exciting, truly exciting. And obviously that success didn't come without challenges. Could you kind of share with the audience some of the things that you ran into that maybe on day one you didn't necessarily expect, but that you were able to find solutions for? Yeah, so, uh, you know, and technically, I mean, we thought everything would just move over and we'd compile everything. And well, that's what we kind of thought initially. And then we started uh, you know, testing things and running and then realizing that, oh, there's some things that we didn't think about that we learned, you know. You know, one of them is, is that we had problems in the database and that performance that I mentioned earlier. And some of it was because um, in the mainframe in COBOL DB2, you know, when a program ends, it disconnects from the database. It automatically disconnects that thread. Uh, but we found in the Postgres environment, it doesn't. So we were building up all these open threads, which was common, causing performance degradation. Uh, you know, so we had to go into all the programs and just do an explicit disconnect from the database when uh, upon, excuse me, upon program completion. Um, in addition, access paths differ. Uh, the, you know, the way that you know, Postgres accesses the data within the databases, we needed to fine tune some indexes within the databases. Uh, and this is a highly partitioned database. So we have a lot of different partitions for each magazine. That way we can run one magazine without affecting the other. Uh, and then the other thing that we noticed is, is that, you know, we selected an ASCII environment versus an EPSDIC. And in Microfocus, you could select either, but we moved to an ASCII environment. And, you know, we had to be very careful and diligent about, you know, when we're sorting the files based on, you know, both alpha and numeric data, they sort differently in ASCII and EPSDIC. But in general, you know, we overcome, overcame those challenges and, you know, and uh, the system is working really well. That's super. That is super. Um Talking about the mainframe and the, the beauty of it, you know, that it just runs all the time and you can depend upon it all the time. Part of that component relates to disaster recovery. Um, what is what has the difference been from mainframe disaster recovery to running in this new environment for you? And, I, and actually, this is probably one of the biggest delights that we have experienced in this uh, in this transition. So those that have worked on a mainframe, you know, for 30 years know that a disaster recovery test is a pretty big activity. You know, when, we, when these systems are running under the Time Inc. umbrella, so to speak, you know, we'd have a 48 hour window uh, where we would do disaster recovery. We'd have, you know, 15 or 20 uh, system programmers bring up the systems from the backups, from the tapes, uh, bring up DB2, load all of DB2. Uh, in general, we'd have about, you know, four to eight hours at the end of the 48 hour window after they recovered the whole system to try to test our application. And in a 20 year period of supporting this application, we probably success, 100 percent successfully tested the application two or three times in 20 years, because uh, at the end, we're at the very end of the system and we just run out of time. 
So we've done two DR tests since we moved over to Microfocus, and they took a total of about three hours with two people. Uh, one of the AWS administrators and then one of my resources. You know, we flip over to the backups. Uh, we pick up and run, and we run those for, you know, for a couple hours, and then we flip back. So the, uh, performance, excuse me, the DR testing has been just outstanding. Um, that's, that's exciting to hear. And just from the confidence level of knowing that you can do that, on a more scheduled basis and ensure that you have time to do it, uh, that's got to be a real positive for you. Absolutely, absolutely. Cliff, going back to your team, um, I'm curious, you know, on the mainframe, there, there are a wealth of tools that are out there and available. Did you find it easy or hard to kind of, not necessarily replace, but find solutions for doing things like debugging and using tools like file aid or expediter what, what has that experience been like for you and your team yeah i mean you know there are equivalent tools in the microfocus environment and actually i think they're better tools you know now that we've used them for you know over a year now you know for performance tuning you have you know the profiler option within microfocus that tells you you know what percentage of the time is being spent in each paragraph of the program uh, and that's a really good tool for performance tuning. You can you know, look at it and say that, oh, 90% of the time is spent in this particular paragraph in this program, and you can isolate it to that and figure out where is it in that, in that paragraph. Uh, so that's what we use for, um, you know, for performance tuning for the most part. You know, there's also the data file editor, which is just like file aid, where you can map, map copy books and map files and do, look at the layouts of them. Uh, you know, and it's ex extremely similar to file aid, but it's more visual and you can jump around records a lot more, you can change data a lot easier. Uh, you know, and then there's also the debugging tool that, you know, has, you know, similar things as that they have on the debugging tools on the mainframe. And actually it's a lot easier to use, putting in your stops and your breaks and you can visually see everything in it. Um, so we didn't find any deficiencies in the microfocus micro tool set that we had on the mainframe. Oh, that's exciting to hear. Um, can you give us a real brief idea of, you know, what it was like going from DB2 to Aurora, as you, uh, excuse me, Postgres, as you mentioned that earlier? Yeah, so, you know, from, let's talk about data conversion first, you know. So, you know, like I said, we had probably six terabytes of data uh, in DB2 on the mainframe. We only needed about two terabytes because we didn't bring all the history with us and things like that. We found that as an opportunity to say, all right, let's just get rid of all this old data that's no longer needed. But we had about two terabytes to bring over. Um, and there aren't any tools that will jump directly, you know, from DB2 to Postgres. So what we did with the help of Estadia is, is we set up a DB2 LUW, you know, um, you know, kind of a hop. So we converted uh, data from DB2 to DB2 LUW, and then there are tools that we converted from DB2 LUW into Postgres. So that's kind of how we handled the data conversion. Uh, it went well. Like I said, we had 162 tables, about two terabytes that we uh, converted in there and everything went extremely well in that process. Now, as far as my team, you know, um, learning how to use Postgres uh, versus DB2, you know, we find that the SQL, you know, statements are exactly the same. So if you want to select star from table or group by or sum by, uh, you know, so anybody that has, you know, any type of database SQL uh, skills can easily, you know, it was easily transferable into Postgres. Uh, there were, you know, how do you access it? You know, the tools that you access it, we're using PG Admin to access the Postgres database. 
so yeah, we had a little bit of, uh, you know, learning curve to learn, you know, how do you write a query? How do you execute a query? Uh, how do you load a database and how do you unload a database? Things like that. Uh, but it's much more visual, you know, it's not just, you know, a green screen on the mainframe, you know, uh, you know, you've got click and click and submit and things like that. And, uh, you know, it was very easy to learn. I don't know if you would agree, but the extensibility of the tools that are available, uh, whether it's database access or for debugging, extending Eclipse, those things, I have just found that to make such a drastic difference to, to what I was used to when I first started my mainframe career. And it sounds like you experienced some of the same. I would agree. I think that it actually has reduced our development cycle, even though the system is in a maintenance mode. Um, you know, we just recently, in the last four weeks, we brought in The Economist, uh, which is a non-Meredith weekly magazine, um, you know, to pre-sort and do their distribution and uh, their freight planning. You know, and we had some development to do for them. They had, you know, special characteristics and special logic they needed to put in for Latin America that we didn't have. Uh, they had some hand delivery copies of The Economist that go to uh, senators and things in Washington, D.C. that needed separate labels and new, new types of labels not delivered through the post office. Um, you know, and our development cycles, I think, were significantly uh, reduced in this environment. So we still do, you know, we still have development activities going on. And I think, you know, our guys are building it quicker, testing it quicker in this environment than they would on the mainframe. What exciting times. Cliff, it looks like we are at the uh, almost the end of our podcast time. I just wanted to thank you again for coming on with us today. It's such a fascinating success story, and I love every time I get to hear you talk about it. Thank you. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you to ask any questions about your experiences or to learn more about what you do at Tech Affinity Consulting, how could they best reach you? Well, one is they can look at our website at techaffinityconsulting.com. Uh, the second option is to send an email to me directly. I'd be, you know, be, uh, love to hear from you at Bradley C, you know, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-C at TAFConsulting.com. That's Tom Apple Frank Frank Consulting.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Again, Cliff, thank you so very much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. And for everyone in the audience, thank you for taking the time to join us again today. Um, if you need to reach out to Astadia, uh, www.astadia.com, uh, please keep a lookout for our upcoming podcast. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.